Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. It is Rose Bowl week and uh, our first show after Christmas. How you doing, T. Frank? Did you have a good holiday? I did. I'm, I, uh, I had a nice three-day weekend and uh, unplugged from football for a while. Didn't watch a whole lot of the NFL this weekend. So very nice. Although I did dive into the Utah film. And kind of clean up some things I hadn't watched before. So we're ready to go today to talk about all of that. And you can't see this on uh, the Keystone kickoff show, but uh, my wife got me a brand new microphone. So after a year and a half and really two years of doing the Keystone kickoff show, I finally don't have a microphone that looks like I found it in the garbage. I found an actual professional (laughs) one. So it's very nice. As someone who could see the microphone looks good. Kudos to Mrs. T. Frank. Yeah, she was the best. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's move on. Let's start talking some Utah football. The Utah Utes, an eleven and three record, uh, with losses to Florida, UCLA, and Oregon. Most impressive wins were probably their two wins against uh, USC, including in the uh, Pac-12 championship game, where they were a very impressive team. They are led by quarterback Cameron Rising, who I think you think Cameron Rising, T. Frank, the first thought is, this is a tough kid. Yeah. I, well, the first thing I think is he looks like what Uncle Rico thinks he looks like in Napoleon Dynamite, or the quarterback he thinks he was. <laughs> so chalk that up for the second time I've made that joke. But he he's, it's funny. The, the theme over the course of this show and the theme over the course of this week for me is these are the same team. It's a Spider-Man meme. It's looking in the mirror. It's the whole thing. He is a very tough, instinctive football player that makes good plays, but when you pressure him, he will throw the football to the other team. Uh, he has some very bad games where he just does stuff that you go, what? why would you do that? So if it sounds like Sean Clifford, there's he's a pretty good comparison to Sean Clifford. Statistically, if you look at some of their kind of box score stats and some of their larger numbers, almost all identical. These two offenses, especially this year with James Franklin pivoting to two tight ends and and incorporating more power concept, you know, identity into the Penn State Nittany Lions. They're the same team. There's just some different wrinkles in terms of uh, how they go about things. But the overall philosophy, the overall ethos of these two teams, they're the same. They're, they're very much the same. Let's let's look at the rest of this Utah offense. Just looking at the numbers, I see them at 252 yards per game passing, 220 rushing. Looks like a pretty balanced offense just going by those numbers, T. Frank. Yeah, so where do you want to start with, uh, with the offense in terms of uh, run game? Do you want to start with the line, running backs, scheme? What, what do you find most interesting? Let's see. Let's start with the line. We're always fascinated by Penn State's <laughs> offensive line. Well, let's talk about Utah's offensive line. Yes, let's go right to the trigger words, right? Uh, this is probably the most cohesive, best offensive line Penn State has faced since Michigan. Um, I wouldn't say, I don't, I don't know if it's on the same level of, as that team because 
these are all very young players. A lot of these guys that are playing are sophomores. And uh, the tackles in particular stand out to me. Uh, Braden Daniels, the left tackle, is very good. Um, and then the right tackle, and I'm going to say this very slowly so that hopefully I get it right. I have to find his name here. Number 78. Come on. Uh, anyway, right tackle number 78. He is a very good football player. Uh, Satoa Lamia. Um, he is a he is a people mover. He is when you think of domination football and everything that Penn State fans kind of like revel in the glory of football days gone by. This is a dude that to me represents that you get him on a down block on the backside of his own run and he will throw a dude two or three gaps if he can. Uh, surprisingly, like I was watching him and because of that, he he looks so big on film. He looks like he's six, seven. 340 pounds, but 6'4", 308. So again, young football players growing into themselves. And uh, and I think those two are kind of the catalyst for this offense. Now, uh, Bills at left guard is the other guy that I think is, is talented. But you put him in passing situations, and he is very much a guard in a run, in a run system that you can kind of expose Keaton Bills' name. Uh, you can expose him a little bit as a pass protector um, if you can force him into one-on-one -on -one situations where he's got a block in a true passing situation. So uh, the right tackle, Lamia, is a little bit worse. Um, maybe not even a little bit. It's decidedly worse as a pass protector. So for Penn State, Chop Robinson should be licking his chops for this situation. But you got to earn that. You got to earn that by stopping the run. And that's kind of the identity of Utah. If you stop their identity, you're in a great situation. Let's talk about the running game in that uh, their leading rusher was uh, Tavian Thomas. He's out with an injury. And I just read, it seemed like he had some other issues going on during the season, but he is out for the game. How does that affect their running game? So he's their lead back, but they're kind of interchangeable. Um, you know, they, they've run so many players so far this season. Micah Bernard and uh, Jalen Glover are the other two that have gotten a lot of carries. But I think it's Jaquin and Jackson is a former receiver or former quarterback who transferred to Utah and uh, is a running back. And I think he's very talented. He's he's a guy that you have to be careful of. He's their speed. He's their explosive big play. 6'2", 227. I, I believe this is the right guy. Yeah, that by the look of it, he averaged seven and a half yards per carry or better over the final four games. So I kind of don't think they lose a lot without Tavion Thomas. They maybe lose some consistency, but I don't think they lose any talent. So they're deep at running back. They run a lot of players like Penn State wanted to this year, but Penn State got pared down a little bit to, uh, you know, just the top two. But a facsimile, kind of the same thing. They've got explosive backs. They got big backs. They got guys that make you miss. They've got a, 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 an amalgamation of talent that was very good this year. And that's the reason I think they're interchangeable is they're all good in the scheme and good in the system. So you don't have one guy that's letting you down more times than not. Okay, let's look now at the uh, passing game of Utah. Big loss to their tight end. Dalton Kincaid was their leading receiver. 70 receptions for 890 yards. He is sitting out. So are there other receivers that Penn State has to be especially aware of? 
And what does losing uh, Dalton Kincaid mean to the Utah's offense? Uh, everything, <laughs> everything. He's their second tight end they've lost this year. Brent Keithy was the the originally the lead tight end, and they were very much like Penn State. They're going to be two tight end offense, run the ball, play action, athletic. That's what they've been over several seasons. So his injury late in the year, um, you could see how it affected their offense in the game against USC. They were not super consistent through most of the game in terms of getting chunk plays and, and taking advantage of, um, you know, a defense that, as we saw at the end, was not spectacular. Devon Villay is the top receiver. And as I described him the other day, he's a dude that will run the route correctly and be in position to catch the football. And after that, there's not really any defining characteristics in his game. Maybe he's big a little bit, but not he's not an imposing presence on the field. He is 6'5". So, but, you know, so he's got the length, he plays like that, but he doesn't have a whole lot of speed. He's not, um, I wouldn't say he's a super great contested catch player, even at that size, because he lacks the bulk. So, you know, it's, it's kind of an offense that ran through Dalton Kincaid, and that's really it. After that, Micah Barnard is their leading receiver with 300 yards receiving, or sorry, with 43 targets. Um, yeah, there's not really anybody else that is is worth talking about other than Solomon Enos, Curtis Enos's son, who at one point wanted to go to Penn State, didn't really work out. I believe he was in the class with Jahan Dotson. Um, so just a little bit of a Penn State connection there. But other than that, this is not a group that has uh, dynamic playmaking ability, and they lose Dalton Kincaid out of that. So a uh, big loss for them. I think maybe bigger just because of the lack of depth than it was for Penn State losing Parker Washington. Let's talk about uh, their offense as a whole, what they look to accomplish. Is this a running team that will then look to play action pass? What should we be looking for as their offensive scheme? I want to give head coach Kyle Whittingham credit. And and so so everyone knows, and I've mentioned this before, the previously mentioned Mrs. T. Frank, she graduated from Utah. So I've been inundated with Utah Ute football for, you know, seven years now. Um, he is a defensive minded coach. He is a guy that, uh, I think at a certain point, certain defensive coaches, they distrust their own offense. They've, they've become so hardened by trying to stop offenses that they kind of stop their own offense, but he's really grown as a coach. I'm, I've been very impressed with his ability to adapt and be more aggressive and rising as part of that because he's a very good quarterback. And uh, I feel like they give him a little bit more leeway than they did Tyler Huntley, who was very much in the system. Um, so they can throw the football. I don't want to make it sound like Cam Rising can throw some ridiculous passes, but they are built off of the zone running game. Inside zone, outside zone, rinse, repeat. And that is, I think, why this team is so consistent is because they have a very a proselytized belief in running zone football. So they, they do some other things, yes, but they don't have the diverse set of run schemes that, that Penn State does. So everything is an ingrained system that they've been teaching for years and years and years and years at Utah. Um, and when you force them out of that, I do think they struggle, but they have become more adaptable and Cam Rising can throw for 300, 400 yards and keep up in a game. But without Dalton Kincaid um, and without, you know, uh, some more... 
dynamic playmakers in the secondary, I do think it's going to be a tough day, especially with Penn State's uh, defense uh, and how good they are in the secondary. Even without Joey Porter Jr., the depth of having Johnny Dixon and having Marquise Wilson shows up in this situation, right? So um, they very much want to run the football. They want to establish the run. They want to eat the run for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They want to kneel at the altar of the run, and then they want to throw play action. And, you know, they have they have some good concepts. I'm, I'm kind of diminishing what they do in the passing attack, but that's it, because it is kind of the sidecar. It is secondary, fully secondary to the run game. So we can look for a heavy dose of the run game. Next quarter, quarter number two, we're going to talk about that Utah defense, see who the top players are there, and then how in quarter number four, we'll talk about how Penn State attacks this on both sides of the ball. And of course, in quarter number three, we'll take your questions asked, T. Frank. But first, like I said, quarter number two, all about the Utah defense. Stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. We're talking Rose Bowl in Utah, and quarter number two is brought to you by 409 Tailgate Club. You know all about their great sauces and chicken rub and Bloody Mary mix. They are now introducing their coffee barbecue dry rubs, and yes, I got a chance over the Christmas holiday to try them out. I actually tried out the Costa Rican, which was great for chicken. That's what Andrew told me. 
Andrew was exactly right. It was uh, part of our dinner on was it Saturday night, Christmas Eve. Fantastic tea, Frank. It came out great. Good. If you're interested in finding out some more about these coffee rubs, go to 409tailgateclub.com. They have a nice package where you could get all three of the coffee rubs in one package. They are fantastic. All right, let's move on. T. Frank, we are talking Utah football. The Utah Utes, we talked about their offense in quarter number one. We're talking their defense now here in quarter number two. The highlight of this is cornerback Clark Phillips, who apparently he's a first-round level draft pick at cornerback. And Clark Phillips is going to be sitting out the Rose Bowl Comparable mm-hmm. to Penn State having Joey Porter sitting out, their first-round yeah. draft pick. How much effect does that have on the Utes? So that you lose your best corner, and that's obviously not good. Um, but this is, again, this is a good secondary. They're, the theme, again, is going to be they're well-coached. They communicate well. They do make mistakes. So, you know, when, when we talk about these things and you're introducing a new team, and I say they are very well-coached, they don't make mistakes, it sounds like these are professional football players that don't actually ever make mistakes. If you watch the Pac-12 championship game, you can see a number of busted coverages, right? So it does happen. But I think the, the most interesting thing and, and how I'm curious is how they adjust is, Clark Phillips was also their slot corner. So he's 5'10", 190 pounds, I want to say. Uh, so on that note, we'll see if he's a first-round pick because typically guys that are small don't always go in the first round. But he's got the ball production, six interceptions this year. He's a very good corner, very smart, physical player. Um, so losing him from the slot, that changes some of their sub-packages. That changes more than just they lose a boundary corner. Um, but they do, they perform well elsewhere with uh, a lot of good players in the secondary that all play the schemes and coverages very well. Losing your top guy, it is, uh, it's never good. But to me, I guess this is how I watch football. I'm always more interested in the safeties because corners do what corners do, right? So if you're playing cover three, you're playing that zone. If you're playing cover two, you're playing the underneath zone. If you're playing cover four, so on and so forth. The The outsides are a little bit more well-established. The interior of the defense, the safeties, that's where you can get a little more creative. You can do a couple more things with those players. So, you know, to me, I, I find those guys interesting when watching film. The, the corners, they're always in, they're routinely in position and they're routinely doing their job correctly. So I don't think that's going to change too much. It just becomes, can you beat those guys? And Penn State has struggled to beat secondary coverage this year uh so i don't see that changing and when we talk about these teams you mentioned how they are mirror image of each other let's compare the defenses when i think of penn state's defense this year i think of aggressive you know blitzes complex blitzes they're going to come at you they're going to attack you from every angle from every level the line linebackers the dbs what is the overall theme of the Utah defense? It's interesting because they are, I think, more Brent Pry than Manny Diaz in terms of their similarities. They want to be one thing. I do think that they want to be a coverage team, rush for, play, you know, in that style. But where the difference is in this team versus Penn State is they don't have a Chop Robinson. They don't have an Abdul Carter as a pass rusher. So 
in the first game, you, you mentioned that the storylines around this team is very much intertwined with the games against USC. In the first half against USC, they tried to do that, play soft coverages um, and keep a lid on on uh, the, the offense and then rush four. They couldn't get home. They they just there was days and days and days that the quarterback was in the Caleb Williams was in the pocket. So uh, in the second half, they adjusted. They brought more pressure. And then in the conference championship game, they played cover zero a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, and and part of this narrative is the change from the beginning of the season. They played more cover zero in coverage than any other team in America. And part of that is you have a good second. Uh, T. Frank, T. Frank, let me just interrupt you for a sure. second. Could you sure. just explain to some of our listeners who might not be familiar with what coverage zero is? Yes. Okay. So the the number in a coverage determines how many deep players there are. Typically safeties, uh, but also corners. So when I say you're playing cover three, you've got one deep safety and both your corners play a third of the field outside of him. Cover four, both safeties are deep, both corners are deep. Cover one, one safety. Cover zero, nobody. You're in single coverage on an island. There is no deep help. If you make a mistake, it's a big play. This is Penn State saw this a good bit this year. And and by the way, defenses, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like a virus. Whenever there's a good idea that goes around, everyone copies it. So a lot of teams started playing cover zero this year for a couple of reasons. And, and I have my theories as to why, but it has proliferated very quickly in college football. One of the problems is with with RPO. Um, you are putting your linebackers in a disadvantageous situation where they have to try to be in two places at once, cover the run, cover the pass. So in order to just, we're, we're not doing that. We're not going to do that anymore. So teams have played aggressively and they are not letting you fake the run, pull and throw. They are attacking the line of scrimmage, taking away the run voluntarily, putting themselves on an Island and forcing you to beat uh, tight coverage with a good throw to try and take away the 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 RPO game. That that's I think part of it. The other part is, you know, for Utah, like I said, they don't have a great pass rushing unit. They are very good as a as a whole with blitzing and with stunts and some of these things, but they don't have a, a guy that when they rush four, they're gonna get home. Um, so they brought more pressure as the season went on. And in that conference championship game against Caleb Williams, when he was injured, he was a sitting duck in the pocket. So they attack, 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 attack. And with against again against that uh, Lincoln Riley RPO, it forced them to take short throws and not be able to get down the field as much. And you know they rallied and tackled well. That does, in my opinion, put some guys that aren't athletically at the caliber they need to be in situations where you can beat them. RG Hubert, the free safety, is a good football player. Uh, he'll make good, smart, sound decisions. He's got great vision and instincts. But one point they were having him cover a guy on a wheel route <laughs> and he had to run to the sticks, turn around and run deep. And the only reason it was incomplete is because Caleb William missed it. So, you know, they're again, they're not infallible. They're college football players. I don't think he has the athletic range to play as much single coverage as he does. And if, if Penn State was at full strength with Parker Washington, I'd be fascinated by that matchup. But he's their free safety. Cole Bishop plays in the box almost as much as the linebackers. So he's um, uh, number eight uh, for Utah. Good football player. I think you can beat him in the run game. He tends to over-pursue. They got some big plays out of the quarterback run game early in the season. Um, that was a big theme for what teams tried to do against Utah early in the year. And the Pac-12 has a lot of athletic quarterbacks. A lot of pure athlete quarterbacks. So 
A um, couple things just about the secondary that stood out to me were, were, were those things. But if you're going to attack anybody in the secondary, Jatravis uh, Broughton, number four, I think you can attack him and you can make some plays there. So if 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 you've got Harrison Wallace or Keandre Lambert-Smith one-on-one on a go route, I think that's an area where Penn State can attack. But overall, the depth of the secondary is probably better than the depth of the front seven. Let's talk about that front seven a bit. Now, again, just going by the numbers, uh, Utah has only allowed a 107 yards per game rushing and 3.8 yards per rush. Not too bad a number there. It looks like they, at least by the numbers, focus on stopping the run. Who are the top players in that front seven for Utah? To me, it revolves around the linebackers and the defensive ends, where they've been able to find some better players at defensive end. Um, it's interesting. Gabe Reed turned out to be their best pass rusher this season and maybe the best all-around defender in the front seven. He didn't start the year. He didn't uh, get a start in, in this season. I don't know if there was an injury or something um, until week uh, 11 against Stanford. But he he played the whole season. He was more of a situational pass rusher. Um he is, I don't want to call him Nick Tarburton, but he is more of a power player in that mold. He does not have the elite speed. This is what I'm talking about. Of like Their best pass rusher is a good football player. He is hard to keep out of the backfield as a run defender, and he's going to cause a massive headache for Penn State if, if he's not accounted for. But I think it would if, if Caden Wallace plays, that's a good matchup. Penn State might lose it a couple times, but they'll be able to win a couple of those as well. He's, this is not JT Tulemoliao. This is not um, Ajabo or any of the guys they faced against Michigan and Ohio State the last couple of years. So good defense. Uh, Jonah Ellis is the other defensive end that is a pretty good pass rusher. Uh, another guy that I think is really interesting, Connor O'Toole, actually brings some speed. He's a former receiver that moved to defensive end, um, and I believe he's the other guy that's gotten the start here down the stretch. And this is what's changed their defense up front is they've gotten a little more pressure off of the edge. Yeah, he started against Oregon, Colorado, and USC. Um, eight pressures against USC. But a lot of that, again, is that you're you're bringing enough people that you can't block everybody, so you got a lot of unblocked pressure in that game. Uh, but generally, I think the linebackers are are the story here. Mohamed Diabate, number three, good pass rusher, kind of like Mike, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Abdul Carter. Ooh, there's a Freudian slip. Seven <laughs> sacks so far this season. You know, not the same athlete, but the same production and the same role. And then their best linebacker is uh, uh, Kareen Reed, where good run defender, good athlete, not a great athlete, very smart. You, again, you got to beat him. You can't pull him out of his gap by making him overrun plays. But the defensive tackles are okay. And their depth beyond the starters in this situation, I don't think is great. Defensive ends, they've got a, maybe they got three or four defensive tackles. It falls off after the first two maybe and even the first two they're big but they don't play big and in in a certain situation they don't really need to because again like Penn State in a lot of games what they love to do is stunt and slant and move gaps and make you wrong by transitioning from where they are to where they're going and that opens up a lot for the linebackers just like Manny Diaz's defense and just like his zone dropping they will zone drop their defensive ends the difference is they drop them into the Mike linebacker role or the will linebacker role as a box linebacker instead of dropping them into the flat. So little variation on what Penn state does, but again, very similar in this group as well. Good front seven, but it's more about the whole than it is the individual parts. 
Very good to you, Frank. In quarter number four, we're going to talk about how Penn State attacks this Utah team. But first, quarter number three, we've got your questions, and we're going to ask T. Frank. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. This is quarter number three of our show which means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions, and we give those to T. Frank. And at the end of the segment, T. Frank will pick out the best question, and you will win the prize, which is a gift package from our friends at 409 Tailgate Club. They've introduced their new coffee barbecue dry rubs. I sample them. Fantastic. As usual, it's what you expect from them. You can go to 409tailgateclub.com and see all of their great products there. T. Frank, are you ready for the Rose Bowl edition of Ask T. Frank? I am. This is my gift to you. Merry holidays and happy New Year's. Um, oh, and one last thing. I did want to mention one guy I forgot to mention. Uh, one, one player I forgot to mention about the Utah defense that stood out. Number 77, Simoti Peppa. Um, rotational defensive end. Big guy, plays nose tackle, hard to block. But uh, again, I think Penn State should be able to handle the majority of what they do up front. But I just wanted to mention him because I don't want to get into the third quarter of the game. He gets a sack and then it's like, I thought they only had one good defensive tackle, (laughs) which will be what I hear in my head 
about what what people might be saying. <laughs> okay, fair enough, T. Frank. Let's get started here. Let's go with Tony from Philadelphia. He says, "Happy New Year to you both." Well, thank you, Tony. Same to you. He says, "I look forward to T. Frank's segment each week." Despite being a football fan for over 50 years, I must admit that if my wife asked me to describe what T. Frank is talking about when he talks about offensive line scheme and technique, I'd merely mumble something about hand and feet placement and quickly try to change the subject. I know there must be a lot more to it than that. Please explain, T. Frank. So let's talk offensive line and scheme techniques. In a way I that like, Tony could understand it and explain it to his wife. I feel like Neil deGrasse Tyson and somebody's like, hey, explain space. <laughs> because like there's so much. Um, so let, let's just start with one of the basic things to me that I think is really important that people overlook when it comes to the offensive line. Everyone wants big dudes. And I understand that the biggest dude usually is 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 better at football. But let me explain that size is not the most important thing to me. Size is critical, but you have to be an athlete at every position to be truly good at football. So that means flexibility and mobility. I cannot stand watching big, stiff athletes try to run around the football field, chasing guys that are smaller and more athletic. Um, So your pad level, if you see a guy and you're watching, if you're watching football, especially on the defensive line, and the first move he makes is to stand up, That is not a good football player, in my opinion. That guy does not understand the basics of leverage and hand usage. Um, So that's where, from that point, pad level and how low you are, low man wins, blah, 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 football fundamentals. That's why reach is also important, because the next arsenal from pad level to win the point of contact is your arm length. Whoever can jab first, farthest, and still be on balance, that guy has a better chance of controlling the block. So when you when we talk about in recruiting, arm length is very important because in the battle for leverage, having gigantic levers helps a lot to get underneath and forklift people up. Um, and then it becomes, you know, not to oversimplify and hierarch them in, in order, because if you've got a great guy with pad level and long arms and he's 274 pounds at tackle, he's not going to do as much as the guy who's 315. So that's when you get into these guys that you know, Olaf Ashanu. The reason he's so good is because he's long, athletic, and he keeps a good pad level. Now, he's tall, and he plays out of a two-point stance, so it doesn't look like it does traditionally. But an area I'd like him to improve is to be more consistent in the run game in terms of where he fits on the offensive line, getting to his second block, and uh, and a lot of things in kind of the technical area. Um, then from there, it's about what scheme are you running? Is it about um, zone blocking where you're blocking an area, not necessarily an individual player? Or are you doing a concept in the kind of man or gap blocking family where you are you see more of the traditional double teams, down blocks, the, the things that people get all up in their dander about when it comes to masculinity and football? Um, but here's the secret. They're all based on double teams. It's all the same thing. It's just a variation off of uh, off of one another. So one thing looks a lot like another in a lot of situations. Uh, Penn State runs a good blend of different schemes in order to keep teams off balance and make sure that they are keeping an advantage with the run game so that they're not predictable. So in this game against uh, against Utah, 
they are, I would say, predictable in their run schemes. Like I said in the first segment, they run two things, inside-outside zone. Those are made to look like one another so that you don't know where the aim point is, uh, you know, where you're intended to run the football. But beyond that, it's all the same techniques for the most part. So Penn State has been very good at, at attacking and defeating those. But this is a team that's very good at attacking and defeating the things that you would do to stop them. So it's going to be a very good game up front from those things. And that's just kind of a, a sampling of the run game. It is so much more complex. There are so many more levels to it than that. Do you know what? At this point, T. Frank, I just picture uh, Tony from Philadelphia talking to Mrs. Tony from Philadelphia during the Rose Bowl game. You know, honey, whether they're playing zone or man-to-man, it's all the same concept. They're looking to do double teams here, Okay. And uh, <laughs> Tony, I ask you, there send, you go. send us a note next week. I want to hear how the com- offensive line conversation went between you and your wife as you're watching the Rose Bowl. Can I, can I right, offer let's... another another kind of hypothesis when it comes to uh, this particular conversation? Because this is something I know it's traditionalism in football, and I tend to probably push back too hard on traditionalism to point out there's other parts of the game. But it is the part you see on screen 100% of the time. You can't see the complexities of the passing game. So therefore, I think a lot of people dismiss it because they don't understand it because they can't. They, they, you physically can't see what the safeties are doing half the time. It's one of the most frustrating things when I'm watching broadcast copy is I have to go back, watch three times and kind of put the pieces together of what's supposed to be happening off screen based on where the other players that you can see are. So I I guess I don't blame people when they focus on the run game because it's the thing you have the most connection to when it comes to football. I'm going to offer one more bit of advice, and this is the one coming from Jim. If a big play happens where a sack happens or someone fills a hole, tackles a running back for a loss, hit your pause button and rewind and slowly go through it just watching the offensive linemen. The majority of times... A mistake is being made by somebody, okay? And a defender runs in free. And that may be because of a stunt where the defenders crisscross and you see both offensive linemen going for one player. Nobody touches the other defender. And if you do that, trust me, you could then sound like an expert when you describe what happened. But you describe it watching it in slow motion and you make it sound like you saw that live when really you didn't. Yeah, you can't. It's physically impossible. You don't have enough eyeballs. Exactly. All right, let's go to Matt in Acton, Massachusetts. Uh, Jim and T. Frank, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you, Matt. Same to you. I sure do love the bowl season as a whole, seeing that cross-conference play between teams that don't regularly play each other. But my question is, how do coaches and players conduct their film review when you have players opting out for the draft? I feel that current film would be an an inaccurate source. Thank you for this show, and I'll be listening through 2023. I guess some of it is, T. Frank, if someone's missing, does does that change some of the concepts of the team you're playing? It it can. It can. So, you know, you (laughs) it so it can and it can't. I think the bigger the bigger situation is time where you lose Parker Washington to an injury at the end of the season. You have to go with what you have. You don't have time to rework the offense. So somebody has to go in, step in, take his role, and operate that particular that particular role in the systems and schemes so that you can continue and everybody can kind of do the jobs that they're supposed to do. 
we've had a month now for coaches to take a minute to breathe and think, although with the transfer portal and with recruiting, not really, but the assistants and the staff have had time to mull things over and decide, Hey, what if we do this and that you, you ever see parks and rec where Leslie yeah. Nope had like, she couldn't come up with a new idea and she was struggling to come up with something she wanted to do to help the parks and rec department. And then, uh, Ron Swanson locks her in a room and forces her to sleep. And then all of a sudden she has a thousand good ideas. <laughs> that's what that, that's what this month has been like. These guys have been going a th- have been going 24/7 for two and a half months each game having you know a limited amount of time to prep and and prepare a plan and then execute said plan. Finally, they're going up against the team in a month and they have a, a ton of practice time, a ton of time to think about these things. Their staff can take a minute to look at the film, dive a little deeper, have a little bit more creative idea about themselves and about the opponent. So I'm describing all these things that, that Utah does and that Penn State does. They may change things dramatically because of that, let alone, you know, opt-outs and injuries and things like that. I would say opt-outs don't change s- schemes as much, as much as they change maybe the outcome of certain things. And you might de-emphasize parts of your playbook, but you're not going... you. You can't reteach a new offense even in a month. So a lot of things will remain the same. It's about how you use the parts and pieces differently within the same structures is is what I would is what I would say about opt outs. Let's get one more in here. T. Frank Uh, Jason from Tunkanic says, T. Frank, love your analysis. I also love the two freshman running backs. However, nobody is perfect. If you could identify a weakness in each of the freshman running backs, what would it be? Hmm. Um, I will. I'll go with what James Franklin has said about Nick Singleton, and that's pad level getting his pads down. He talks about to protect the football, but when he runs with a good forward pad lean, he is scary. He has great contact balance. He unlocks all the strength in his lower body. It's not just pad level for for, um, you know, the offensive line. It's also it's for every skill position. When you have the ability to drive with your legs and create that forward momentum and keep your balance and all of the proper techniques, you become a much harder football player to stop. So for him, uh, his patience has gotten better. His vision has gotten better. But there's still that he. I'm not saying he's a track athlete because he is a football player. But when he gets into the open field, he runs upright. He runs fast. He runs like he's a fast dude. So it's about getting him to know when to transition to running with that open stride and when he needs to be a running back behind his pad level and you know break the tackles and keep the forward momentum the proper way. With Katron Allen, it's just about getting faster. It's about getting everything, every ounce of RPMs out of his body because he's great at everything else. I, I think he's got quasi NFL level vision and cutback ability and agility and all those things. So it's just the physical side of it. So they're, they're kind of complementary pieces in that sense. Thanks very much, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number three. Stick around. Quarter number four, we're going to name our winner. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. 
Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank we had our Ash T. Frank segment. We need a winner. Who's it going to be? Let's go Tony in Philadelphia. Um, you know, I appreciated the conversation about the universe and Star Talk. I mean, the <laughs> offensive line. Sorry. <laughs> we did. It was a great conversation. However, I'm going to put one more requirement on you, Tony, for the win. And that is you've got to get back to us next week. You've got to tell us. What that conversation was like between you and Mrs. Tony during the Rose Bowl. Your assignment is to talk offensive line with her, and I want to know how that went. All right, T. Frank, let's get back to the Rose Bowl itself. Quarter number one and two, we talked about Utah's offense and their defense. Now let's talk about how Penn State's comparable units will attack those teams. Let's start with Utah having the ball. Penn State on defense. You talked about them being a team that wants to run the ball. Eventually, yeah. it will be play-action pass to bring in the passing game. You are Manny Diaz. How are you coaching your defense to combat the Utah offense? Uh, I think it's just full steam ahead of what you've been doing because they, they've been – now, you have, to be, you have to be aware. Like I said, there's been a month off. New wrinkles can happen. Um, and, and I don't think I gave enough credit to Cam Rising for being a rushing threat on the backside of zone plays because, you know, the reason he got his helmet knocked off and everyone loves his toughness is because he's willing to run the football. Um, so if there's a huge difference between him and Sean Clifford, it's maybe not as many turnover-worthy plays, and also he's actually keeping the ball in a lot of these situations. But it's about the running game and Penn state when they know what's coming and they have been able to diagnose and attack, they have been very, very effective. 
Abdul Carter is going to be a huge part of this game because Utah does a great job of getting those double teams at the line of scrimmage and then working to the second level. So in zone blocking, it's a lateral block. It's not coming downhill straight at you. And that's where the right tackle I mentioned, he is devastating on the backside of zone runs where he can hit the backside of a guy who's already engaged, knock him out of the gap and then get to the second level. So this group is, is pretty proficient at working together, the combo block, and then getting to the second level. But I don't think they faced an animal like uh, Abdul Carter. And you're going to have Curtis Jacobs out there. They're going uh, they're going big base in this game. I, I can't see any other way they would deploy their linebackers than having both Jacobs and Elsden or Jacob Elsden and Carter on the field. So that group's aggressiveness and their attacking nature, if Utah stays in their base offense and they don't add some wrinkles in this game, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to run the football. This is a good front seven for Penn State. They've gotten better. As Manny Diaz says, we reserve the right to get better, I think is what he said um, during his press conference this year, and they have. And and part of that is Carter's ability to attack and and shed blocks. The ability to ignore a block while being blocked, um, coming from his strength, his size, his athleticism, and knowing where to be, being in the right gap. But that's the thing. This group has to be gap sound because the running backs are good. They will find the cutback lane and they will make you pay for it. So Jonathan Sutherland, uh, Kobe King, Tyler Elsden, the same problems Penn State's had when they face good teams throughout the year. It's not necessarily they're getting pushed around. Now, it is partly that when Jonathan Sutherland comes in and attacks a offensive lineman square in the chest instead of being on the proper shoulder, he's not big enough to recover from that mistake. But the mistake was the mistake. It wasn't necessarily the physical mismatch at first. You always have an advantage if you're fast. You've got to take advantage of that. And they have made mistakes in the past of, you know, physical mistakes, being in the wrong situation. Tyler Elson, again, same thing. Being, you know, in midline on the center. Never be in the center of the, set, of the offensive lineman. Attack the proper shoulder, get into your gap, and make a play or force a cutback. If you are not in your gap, this team will shred you. And that was a lot of what happened against USC. They got tired um, and they were not in their gap. And when they were in their gap, they got beat. So playing an even game and not allowing them to churn out yardage, that is a part of this conversation. And that's also on the offense to convert some third downs. Let me let me ask you about the Penn State defense and attacking it. In general, I felt like Penn State's defense was so much better at the end of the season than the start of the season. The counterpoint I hear is, well, of course, those final four teams were not very good that they were playing. How come we didn't see this great defense against Michigan and Ohio State? You did. So is this the, you did see it against Ohio State. They held that team to 21 points through through 40, 51 minutes of the game. I understand that and the offense had a big part in that collapse in the fourth quarter. But do not discredit what they did against Ohio State in forcing them to run the ball and stopping them from running the ball most of the game. So you have seen this team improve against good teams. But yes, the majority of what we remember for the final month of the season, they were playing teams that were not as good. But they did show improvement against quality football teams. Okay, now let's go to the other side of the ball. Penn State has the ball. How do you attack this? You're Mike Yersich. You've seen Utah's defense. You've scouted it. How are you going to attack that defense? Uh, so what I've seen, what I've noticed is, and I talked about this group, I think in this way appropriately, they are not unathletic. 
but there is no Abdul Carter or Curtis Jacobs on that side of the ball. They have, they have a couple of athletes that maybe are on that level, but nobody on Carter's level, nobody on Chop Robinson's level. So force them into space. Individual uh, ISO basketball. Get Nick Singleton on the edge and let him run. But that can't be the diet of your offense. That has to be, you see, when you do that, you have to hit it. So Nick Singleton, to me, in this game is very important because I believe they need to get him in a couple of situations, whether it's it's a sweep play, they're pulling out in space, or they're using some trick, you know, run concept where he's going opposite, you know, kind of on a jet sweep. If you get in those situations, don't dance, beat your guy, get up field because they will rally and they will they will tackle and they're not they don't miss a lot of tackles. Now, Catron Allen has made a lot of de- teams that don't miss tackles miss a lot of tackles. So, I, you know, he's going to be a part of that downhill between the tackles. You've got you to create yards against the strength of the defense. That's the reality. You've got to do something there. But when you have big play opportunities to get on the edge, you've got to take them. And then the next part is going to be the offensive line. If, if Ashenu and Caden Wallace are back and they're playing and they're healthy, I think that's a massive advantage for Penn State because they're going to hold up better than most teams uh, that Utah has faced. When Utah faced UCLA, they had a good they have a good offensive line. I don't think people give them enough credit for being physical, running a spread offense. Utah lost that football game. Um, Oregon had a very good offensive line. They were able to control the ball. They got some big plays because they had time in the pocket. And that's really what I'm driving at. Um, if Utah tries to play this and, and rush four with Penn State having a healthy offensive line, that is a recipe for disaster for them. So then they're going to play cover zero. And then it becomes how much do you miss Parker Washington? And can Brenton Strange and somebody else step up and beat that single coverage? Because those are the two guys that made a lot of plays against uh, cover zero, which we talked about earlier. I don't know that Utah needs to go cover zero in this game, but I think they might. It's a good way to stop the run as well as stop the pass. Um, and by the way, Tip, they like to run it on second down. They don't always run it just in third down. Red zone, second down, big downs for that. So, because they want to force you into a third and long, which is easier for their defense and takes advantage of their secondary. This is about protecting Sean Clifford, because if you do that, then they become a regular defense with good football players, but you can run a deep crosser against them, get them open in the opposite zone, and then get a big play. That was what happened with, with USC, is they were able to hold the pocket and then the open middle of the field, in between zones, stretch everything out and make big plays. Um, that would be a recipe that I think Penn State could use because Sean Clifford is capable of throwing the football. He is capable of reading a defense, and when you play static coverages, do that. I don't see a ton of uh, wild disguises. They are good at disguising. I don't think that they major in deception the way some of Illinois or or Indiana has in the past. They are very much... We're going to do some light disguising. We're going to give you one thing, show you, and then and they show you one thing, give you another. But it's like cover one or cover three, cover two to cover one, which are easier to do, and they're easier to 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 then to invert and and play guys in different positions and some of the wild stuff you see in the Big Ten. So I think if you can eliminate the pressure and keep Sean Clifford clean, this is a game that Penn State can make some hay because they do still have good receivers and good athletes on offense. All right, T. Frank, we've got a couple minutes left. We looked at Utah's team and how Penn State will attack them. How do you see this game playing out? Give me your prediction. 
and throw in a bold prediction in there too. Uh, okay. So I think, and I've been saying this, I'll just stay with this. I think that this is going to be a low scoring game. It's going to be a defensive game running the football, but I can see it getting crazy. So my prediction is, it's going to be a low scoring game. My bold prediction is this is going to be a game in the thirties. And in that situation, I think Penn state has the advantage. So I'm going to say 30, 31, 30 Penn state, because I think that they can throw the ball a little bit better. Now with, um, Sean Clifford, one of the things that we've noticed for him this season is he's running the ball, has run the ball so much less. He just really hasn't been a threat at all running the ball. It's now his last game. He's had, what, five, six weeks to heal (laughs) up? Yeah. The bumps and bruises. You think we're going to see him at least be a threat, you know, on those run pass options, RPOs, or run run options, zone reads, that he might actually uh, be a weapon? I so I don't know. <laughs> I I know exactly what to expect from Sean Clifford and I don't know what to expect from Sean Clifford because we have seen him sacrifice his body for this team for 5 years. But this year he's been making some business decisions. It's the last game, but it's not his last game. And I think this is in, in whether it's opt-outs or whether it's conversations like this. Penn State fans look at it from their perspective, which is, you know, what you're what you're going to do, right? That's not anything I think that's a negative. But if you think about it from his perspective, from Sean Clifford's perspective, he still wants to try to go to the league. So he needs to be healthy for the draft. He needs to be ha- uh, healthy for if he gets invited to a bowl, like a, a postseason bowl game, one of the all-star games. He needs to be uh, for the combine to throw the football, to give it his absolute best shot to, to latch on with the team. So to think of this as Sean Clifford's last hurrah, I don't think he thinks of it that way because he hasn't been conducting himself all season like that's how he thinks. Whether he's going to go into business and be an entrepreneur and whatever, he wants to make money in the NFL first. My goodness, if you can get a minimum salary paycheck and then you can be an entrepreneur, of course you're going to do that. So I don't know how to answer that. I wish him well trying to get to the league. I still think this might be his last game. T. Frank, that's it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hockensmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. 
truststatecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com.